want to know more about the cult and about the bystanders. I find this part of the story fascinating and we usually breeze right past it on into the palms and the hosannas and this grand procession into Jerusalem. But this year, I'm still fixed right there on the beginning. When the disciples Jesus sent on this errand for a cult arrive in the village and find it. Initially, it appears that there's no one around to ask permission for taking the colt, so the two begin untying it, just as Jesus instructed them. A few bystanders notice these strangers taking their neighbor's colt, and they intervene, questioning them. I have to imagine that everyone knew everyone there, and presumably that they all more or less looked out for each other. And so strangers coming in and stealing a colt, that doesn't fit. But here's the twist. The bystanders listen, and they understand the need, and they roll with this strange disruption. Maybe it's not their own cult, per se, but with life so interconnected in a small community, allowing this to happen to their neighbor's cult would be akin to taking on the responsibility themselves. The neighbors inquire, and the disciples tell them simply that the Lord needs it, and that he'll return it immediately. And this is sufficient The bystanders let them continue on their way, going back to Jesus now with a colt in tow. I find this so surprising. Have these neighbors already seen Jesus and want to support the cause? Or have they listened to others recounting stories of his unlikely signs and his healings and his hopeful teaching? Or is this simple explanation enough for them? The Lord needs it and will bring it right back. I don't know. I wonder. All we get is that these neighbors hear the request and they permit it. As if speaking for the village, they bless the need and the disruption. As we were discussing this bit of the story in our Bible study this past Monday, some folks pointed towards the desire for focused attention, for the space to do one thing at a time and be fully present to it. I also heard the desire to be able to make a plan, whether for an afternoon or a week or much longer, and then run with it, and pursue it steadily. Both of these longings resonate deeply for me. Monotasking, as we might refer to that exercise of full attention, monotasking can feel wonderful. And 
for many of us, it is difficult to come by right now. So too are the plans that reliably come to fruition. If they involve anyone else or any place else other than our homes, they have been pretty tricky to pin down for a year now. And here's what I realized this week as I chewed on the insights offered in our discussion. I generally celebrate deliberate, steady monotasking. I celebrate it in the way that Simone Weil talks about absolutely unmixed attention being a form of prayer. And here's my confession. Elusive as this absolutely unmixed attention can be, I prize it enough so that I can also begin to quietly demonize distractions and disruptions. I resist them, and at times I even resent them as something pulling me away from my plan or from my desires or the designs on the day and the priorities I tried to set. And yes, of course, focus is a beautiful thing, and undivided attention is a grace and a gift. Yes. And I think these bystanders have something to teach us with their ease and and their readiness to be surprised. There is something deeply faithful in their openness to this strange intrusion. What if, like them, we held space for the distractions? What if we even welcomed them? What if the disruptions are of God? What if the Lord needs this moment, this attention of ours, and whatever this unready cult might be alongside us? What if Jesus is asking to borrow it all just for a little while? I feel as curious about this idea as I feel resistant towards it. I want to be in control. I want to direct my time and my energy, have it all unfold predictably and successfully according to how I have mapped it out. And yet, a question comes, a need arrives, a stranger shows up, the story twists. How do we respond? How does our faith lead us there in that moment of heading in one direction or another? I heard wisdom attributed to Viktor Frankl this week, the great neurologist and philosopher and many other things, and also a Holocaust survivor. He says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our power to choose. And in our choice lies our growth and our freedom. As I took his idea in, I thought of these bystanders. 
and this cult and the disciples who approached them. Here is a distraction, a disruption, a need. There is a moment there, a pause we can claim, where we can consider what has arrived and how we will respond. I recognize in myself the well-worn path of responding with a sense of scarcity or annoyance. And I wonder if my response could begin to follow the example of these anonymous bystanders and instead embody curiosity and openness and trust. This feels to me like a fundamental element of stepping into Holy Week. These days ahead can arrive as a disruption, as an intrusion. Nobody has time for this, much less bandwidth for a story of more pain, of the greatest pain. Maybe it's tempting to just continue with our routine this week. Wait for Easter by skipping over the, uh, the ugly parts and just enjoy the gorgeous spring popping up all around us. Fast forwarding through uh, the rough parts of the story with, uh, that lie between this triumphant parade into the city and the rising to new life that is yet to come. But wait. Tough as it is, sad and confusing and convicting as this part of the story is, we need the disruption. We need to have our attention pulled to a new place. Our hearts opened at times we did not expect and could not have planned. Right there. Just after the disruption arrives, unexpected and unbidden, there is a space. There is room enough for a breath, a pause. There is room for us to consider what comes next. What question can we bring? What bit of marveling can we carry into the moment, genuinely wondering about what is before us? These overlooked bystanders show us the stance of entering faithfully into Holy Week. This time is disruptive, as all stories of pain and need are. And still there is the space, even if it may be slim, between the disruption and, that comes and the way that we respond. Can we open ourselves to that pause? If we do, when we do, we may find that it is precisely in these disruptions and in the holy space that follows that we begin to hear God speak. <clears throat>